this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value. Things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey. Go to valuebuilder.com. Next up, you're going to hear from Michael Padone, who sold e-traffic jams for $1.2 million, which represented about three times his pre-tax profit. You may say, well, that's not a huge company, and we've done on Built to Sell Radio you know, hundreds of million-dollar exits, I think $1 billion exit. Why are we talking about a $1.2 million exit? Well, a few reasons. What I love about Michael's story is where he came from as an entrepreneur. And you'll hear throughout the interview about what it meant to him to be financially successful and what a million dollars in the bank meant to him personally. And so I I want you to remember that as you go through the story uh, of what his background was. And he shares that at the beginning of the interview. He also talks a little bit about the dangers of taking stock versus cash and, and, and how he wanted cash for his business. Listen to what the buyers were buying and the importance of recurring revenue and the way they vetted his business after he verbally accepted the agreement, the way they vetted it. So listen out for that. Um, listen to the regrets that he had after the sale. Lots of good stuff here from Michael Padone. Michael Padone, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's great. I, you know, we were talking a little bit offline, and 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 you shared a little bit about your childhood. And I thought, you know, it's a little unusual, but I thought we'd start there. Tell me a little bit about growing up. Where where did you grow up? What what was growing up like for you? Well, man, where that's a, that's a loaded question because where I grew up. I mean, originally I'm from like the White Plains, you know, New York area, but. I grew up a little bit in Florida. I grew up, uh, you know, a lot of it in the '80s in, in Arizona and Phoenix, you know, because what ended up happening is parents got divorced, things of that nature. So, uh, but yeah, out in Arizona, growing up was I loved it, but it was kind of tough because you know it was, uh, it was one of those things where we were really we were growing up on food stamps. I'll never forget when going to a store and I'm in grade school and I see one of my friends and you know I was embarrassed because of the fact that. Uh, you, you know, in our cart was, you know, all this generic, you remember the black and white boxes, sure. the generic yeah. boxes. And, you know, you guys think if you're a kid, you know, especially when that's first happened, you see your other friends look at you and you know, it's like, I was just totally embarrassed by it. And um, listen, you know, my mom was doing the best she could. So it was no, you know, nothing I had against that. But, you know, I hated not having cash. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And then how did that play into your decision to start a business? Was that part of why you, you started a company? Actually, yeah, I guess yes and no. I mean, the thing is, this is I originally wanted to be a rock star, and so I I got into where I was a a musician. I practiced all the time. Uh, Right before I met my wife, I was on the short list to be Ozzy Osbourne's next guitar player. Uh, This is going back a little bit, um, and and that didn't pan out. I saw the letter today where he says he decided to go with somebody else. But during that time, I got into the sales field. And, you know, what really attracted me to the sales field was, you know, the, the, 
the better you got at selling and knowing how to sell, you could live like a rock star. I mean, because it was like there was no cap. For me, you know, I there was times growing up where I'd have to be like the midnight dishwasher out of Denny's, if you could believe that. It was horrible. Uh, you know, doing the third shift, open all night, you know, making like three fifty an hour. And, and I actually think sometimes that with today's generation, I think that's what really fuels like, you know what? I don't I don't want to be in this scenario. You know, I'll do this work right now, but it really that's some of the stuff that really also fueled me to be successful. So not only was I more dedicated to, to practicing and trying to make it in the music industry, but when it got to a certain point at that direction, I don't, I don't think like, you know, God was leading me that way anymore. You know, I, I got this gift where I got into sales and then I just put all my energy into that, started to do really well and then started to be successful and making some cash that way. And then it's just there was a natural progression in there. I, I think most entrepreneurs, I mean, if you don't know how to sell, I don't think you're going to grow a business for the most part. So you have to have some of that 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 sales DNA in you a little bit, I believe. Got it. So how did e-traffic jams come about? Okay, so I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. So first of all, what e-traffic jams was was a search engine optimization company, which basically uh, we would we would help companies to grow by, based by getting them top rankings on Google and things of that nature for really good keywords that would drive revenue for them and generate leads. I'll try to make this really quick, but here's how it really started. My wife was, she had her own small business and she still does by the way, but it was in the fixed asset management software area and she was working for, uh, as a reseller for, uh, at the time, Best Software, they're now called Sage. And they were down here in Tampa and they invited her to their big shindig that they were having for their award ceremony and she didn't get an award. And the person that did get this award said, hey, I just got this new website and this is going back when websites were like like the rage and just getting into things. And he was talking about how you got all this traffic and all this inf this stuff. And I literally saw like how upset she was that she did, and she still denies it to this day, by the way. But I, I saw this pain in her eyes, and I was like, you know, I got an email the other day that said Microsoft can show you how to get top rankings. And I'm like, I'll go home. I'm gonna build you a website. I, by the way, I, I didn't even know how to turn a computer on. I'm like, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna build a, build you a website. We'll get top rankings, and you'll be able to you'll win the award next year. And, you know, the, the email that I got was like, you know, you could do this within like 30 days or less. Well, six months later, I'm still pulling my hair out trying to make this thing work. But I just wouldn't give up. I mean, I was I was still working a full time job and, and I would just be, I, I would work to like three in the morning when everybody went, would go to bed. And I'm still researching and learning how to do this the whole nine yards. And then finally, I went to give it a test. I said, OK, it says, you know, it takes 30 to 90 days before you start seeing traffic. And she's like, man, nobody's ever going to, you know, buy software this way or, you know, leads this way. And next thing you know, it was like a week, a week went by and she went from a one person show to all of a sudden, you, you know, she started blowing up. I mean, she had to hire people the whole nine yards because I was driving so much traffic in business for her. she was selling it. And she did win next year because she became the top VAR. So you figured, so you figured out the SEO piece, you figured out how to get her site ranking better than that, their competitors and, and yeah in in the organic section not in the paid section because she couldn't afford to compete with the big boys you know who are outspending you on on the paid stuff you, you know to, to get those listings so i figured that out and then when i saw the effect that it had i was like you know i'll bet there's a lot of companies out there that would love to have these results but can't afford the big budgets of the of the pay-per-click stuff sure and so how did you how would how did you structure the business was this a project-based company where you would go in and work with a with a small business to improve their search rankings or or did you have long-term contracts like what was the what was the business so here, model you use 
So the business model that, that I used, for the first thing I did was this. I knew I had to get a big name. If I wanted to do this, remember, I'm working full time. And I was like, you know, if I want, if I want to be successful at this, I'm going to have to have a big name under my belt that I could cold call other, other companies to get them to, to be interested and to sign on. So I went to one of the largest well-known names here in the Tampa area. Uh, and I was actually working for that time, but I went to, the, to them and there, it was DuPont, DuPont registry. And I said, let me do the optimization on the side for free to get rankings up there. All I ask in return is, well, can I get a, a letter of testimonial? Uh, and would you be willing to take some calls from prospects? And I got the go-ahead. I, I blew up their rankings, their traffics, and, and they started getting a ton of it. I got a good reference from them and, and a testimonial. And now after work and whatnot, or sometimes even during lunch from my full-time job, I would start calling. I would build my list. I know how to sell. That's my specialty is, is, is cold calling and, and, and even warm calling, things of that nature. So I would call people up. I would use my opener about how I recently helped DuPont do this, and there's a chance I might be able to help you do that. I just need to ask you a few questions if that's okay. And they're like, sure. And next thing you know, I started uh, closing business, and it, it got to the point where I had to go to my boss and say, listen, I can't work for you anymore. You're costing, you're costing me money. And so <laughs> I got to ask, so why did DuPont registry give you permission to do this side hustle of SEO I mean, clearly they, they, they should have known that you were, you were going to, you were going to be a flight risk as soon as, as soon as you got it figured out. You know what? I thank God every day for, he's still my mentor to this day. And so I had a manager who started, by the way, started at the ground level and worked his way up to the president, to be the president in this one division. He was also my, my sales manager as the president division. And, and he just has this, this Eastern mentality of, you know, good karma. And he saw the passion that I had. And I was also his top producer, which there was some risk, but he, you know, he was like, if you continue to help be a top producer for me, I'll help you on this side. Cause he, he says, you want to start a business. Have you ever started a business before? I go, dude, I, I, I barely graduated high school. I never even went to college. I don't know the first thing about starting a business. And he goes, all right, I'll tell you what, we'll set up weekly meetings. As long as you keep producing like you're doing, I'll set up weekly meetings. You can ask me the questions you have, and I'll help guide you. And then, that, and he's the one that taught me about residual, you know, a residual model and things of that nature. And so I worked that into my my e-traffic chance business. But then I had the sales skills, so I could I could sell it. And then, but I also taught myself how to do it. So I was the marketer, the seller, the the the, the technician, the whole nine yards. And then, as I kept getting growing the business, getting more and more accounts, that's why I went to him. And I said. You know, Kit, I can't work for you anymore. You're costing me money, and it was he was sad, but he was proud at the same time. John, and, and what, what, just to, so we're clear, Michael, what does residual model mean? Yeah, sure. So in other words, so there's some business models where, like, the, let's say you have the SaaS, right? You know, software as a service, where it's a monthly payment and it's like guaranteed revenue once you get somebody under a, a six or a twelve month contract, right? So it's that residual, that reoccurring. You know, e e even on a B two C side, like the massage envies or something of that nature, you sign up subscription based models, if you want to call it that way. Got it. Right. Okay. Just I wasn't familiar with with the term, or I wanted to make sure we weren't. Um, mixing up terms or, or that we were clear. So, yep, got it. Okay. So it was a, it was a recurring or, or long-term contract that you had put in place. So talk to me about what, so what was the, the next big sort of, I understand the startup, but what was the next big milestone for you in this company? Well, well, having to hire people and getting it really off the ground. Again, you're talking about somebody who, who 
you know, I didn't go to school to have an MBA or anything of that nature. What I have is uh, when I believe in something, I'm like a dog on a bone. And, and, and my sales skills uh, is I just have this down pat to where it's off the chart. So I knew I could build something, but then I had to learn on the fly of, you know, well, how do you hire somebody? How do you you know manage them? How do you get the right people? And what do you do if you make a bad hire? You know, all, all, you had to go through all that stuff while I was still closing. And, and the, the other side of it too, is you start making some money and you're not, and you come from that background. Next thing you know, you know, we, we're no, we're no longer living in an apartment. Now, now we're, we're, you know, we have a brand new house and you know, the lifestyle is different and your kids are starting to go to, you know, uh, private schools and things of that nature. So your income level is different and now you're starting to live high on the hog. And then one day, you know, you, you, all of a sudden your, your bookkeeper comes and goes, we're not going to make payroll next week. We need some sales. And it's like, you know, so you have that stress come in. You're like, okay, I'll just get on the phone and close some deals. And that's what I did. But, you know, you're learning how to manage all that stuff. How big did you get this company? Like, what was your top line annual revenue um, by the time you sold it? You know, here's the thing. I don't think we ever broke a million dollars in in a year. And, but, but my profit level was so good. And, and that's really when, when they, when the people that approached me and I'll, I'll be more than happy to tell you on how they did that, you know, when they approached me. Um, some of the other companies in, that they were looking at acquiring, I was the only one profitable. So what I mean, kind of profit of the, margins would you be making? Well, at least 50% wow. after everybody else was being paid. Wow. Okay. So you've got people to hire. You must be hiring very inexpensive people to have still 50% left over after all your expenses. I mean, where are you finding people that are that, to, to well, help so, you run this business? Well, one of the things, again, I learned and, and kind of like from the E-Myth thing, I mean, you, you get really good at something and then you don't, you don't want to turn it over to somebody else. But I was just getting so busy that I had to find other people because not only was I really good at the sales, but I was also really good at the optimization. So I was doing both sides. And so I would have to hire somebody and I found I found somebody that was really good and I, I trained him in my, th- in my style. But you know what? He was uh, in Canada and, and so we started working remotely. So you know, I, you save a little bit in that area as far as trying to find somebody that might have been in my area that wanted, you know, a lot of money, found somebody somewhere else that um, they were willing to do a great job and they wanted to be able to work from home. And, and it just was a good fit. And he was dedicated and, and away we went. And it's not anything different. I, I'm reading the, the Elon Musk book. I know I mentioned him earlier by, by Ashley Vance right now. And where, you know, it, he could hire an engineer that's, you know, three times the salary, but maybe not as passionate. He would go pluck the people that were the best that were just getting into it, that showed a lot of passion and get them for a third of the cost. And they would even work twice as hard, you know, so you had to, yeah, you had to thread that needle. You didn't always go after the, the, the big name. You had to find, know how to find that right talent and get it in there for the right price. Got it. Okay. So you've got this small business that's, that's around a million in sales. Is that right? That's right. Got it. And and you're you're netting almost fifty percent. It sounds like a big, fat profit margin. What was the trigger that made you want to sell? I didn't want to sell. That's the, that's the thing. So so here's the funny story on this. So, I had, I had uh, my secretary. She would come to me almost every day for like two or three weeks and say, "There's this guy on the phone that says that they want to buy your company." And I was also at the same time getting emails from like these brokers, these directory brokers saying, hey, we could sell your business, but you got to pay $400 to have it listed in this directory or whatever. And I was like, so I was just kept assuming that that was, you know, somebody like that calling. And I said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. So one day my secretary, I knew she was going to be out. So I had a friend of mine come in and sit in on the phones one day. Guy calls in and she's a real good friend of, of, of the family. She comes walking and she goes, 
there's this guy on the phone who says he wants to buy your company. I'm like, yeah, he called all the time. Tell him that she says, no, you need to take this call. I mean, she's just real. She, it's just, she's very upfront that way. And, and I was just like, okay, fine, put him through. And it was not what I was expecting. He was somebody that was, uh, that was uh, from Sweden. And he says, you know, we've been doing some research. We found you and we, and we want to buy your company. Now, the, the little bit of the backstory that you guys need to know is this. The, one of the companies that I, I was starting with this uh, when I first started E-Traffic Jams, there was another company that wanted to buy the company, and we went through the whole process. I went through all the paperwork. I knew what the EBITDA was, the whole nine yards, and it, we settled on $1.2 bucks was going to be the deal. I had all the paperwork there. And so we were going through that process. This is a couple months before I got the call from this one guy. And it fell through at the last second. And so there was some letdown. I mean, when, some, when somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, we're interested in this, and you start going through all the process, it's really hard not to think about what you're going to do with that money or that life-changing money of having that kind of cash up front, right? And so when it fell through, I was, you know, obviously, you know, you got to lick your wounds, but then you got to get back to work and forget about the fantasies for a little bit. So that ended up happening a few months before this guy kept – this other guy kept calling. But the, the the reason why I'm bringing this up, I had all the documentation, everything already from that last go around all, all together. And so when he called, first things first, I knew I needed to pretend that I really wasn't that interested in selling. And, and it was, it's, so I just said, yeah, listen, I'm not really interested in selling, but I appreciate you calling. He's like, well, we still like to come anyway. I'm like, look, you're coming from Sweden. It's your dime. If you want to do that, that's fine. He goes, good. We'll be there in two days. I was like, Okay. I had my attorney do a little research on them, found out they were buying up companies. I found out that they were buying companies. They were offering stock, though, and I didn't want to have stock. You know, if somebody's going to buy me out and I'm not going to lose control, I wanted cash. So at least I was armed with that. And when they they came in, we met. We had, were having, you know, getting to know each other. We're having lunch. And then they they got down to business. So what would it take to buy your company? And I told them the story I just told you where somebody was – I wasn't looking. Somebody came in. I did all the paperwork. It fell through at the last second. They couldn't afford it, And I, but I know what it's worth. And they go, okay, what do you want? And I go, I want $1.2 cash, no stock options. And the guy uh, said – one of them said, okay, can you hold on a second? The other one kept talking to me. The other one, guy walked away, made a phone call, came back, and he, and he said, uh, okay, done. And in my head, I was just like – what the hell just happened? I'm like, I just became a millionaire just like that. And that was kind of a, that was kind of a cool feeling at that point. And that's, that's how it all went happened. We shook hands. I said, okay, great. And then away we went. It was done like within 90 days. So many questions there. So, okay. What is your EBITDA? Like, what is your EBITDA at this, your earnings before tax, like pre-tax profit? If, if you knew that, like, what is, how much profit are you making at this point in the, in the game? So, I mean, back then, I think we were using, so we really wanted to make the books, you know, as, as comfortable as possible and everything. So it was really, if I remember, and we're going back a little bit. So if I remember right, they, they were using like a, a three, a three time EBITDA is what they were doing. Got it. Got it. So you're around 400 K in EBITDA at this so point. If, if that, I think that might sound right. Yeah. That might sound right. About about that. Okay. Got it. So why did like, how did you arrive at the value of your company? Why did you think the 1.2 million that you had been offered previously was was fair? What led you to the conclusion that that was the right price? The right, it, you, this is why because I wanted to be a millionaire after I paid taxes. Why was that important to you? Grow, listen, grow, I, you know, let's go back to that food stamp story, man. 
I mean, growing up that way, being told all your life, you know, listen, I had some stepfathers in, in, in the mix too, growing up who said, you know, you know the kind of person who say, listen, you're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to be a low life, whatever. And you have that. And I think people can, they, they go one of two directions. They either believe it and they just stay in that, you know, that they, they reinforce that. And that's the way they live their life. Or some people, you know, use it as rocket fueling and go, I want to prove everybody wrong. And, and and just be successful. And so I, I always went that other way. And I always kept, you know, if, if I get my mind on something, if I'm passionate about it, I'm just going to keep going for it and going for it and going for it. And if, if what I'm doing is not working, I never use excuses or say it's the economy or it's this or it's that or it's my competitors. I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do better next time? Just get up and keep going. And, you know, when he traffic channels, I really wasn't looking to sell. I was very happy. You know, I was working a lot. But I also was playing a lot because we were making some cash. But the thing is this, is that when somebody wants to offer you that kind of money up front, again, we're going back a little bit. One, $1.2 million is nothing today. I get that. But when you put it in context, I mean, it might as well have been $100 million to me. I mean, it was a lot of cash. I could have it up front. I could say I did it. And, uh, you know, when I, when we take out the taxes at the time, I knew I'd still have over a million dollars and that that's, I just, I wanted that on my resume. I wanted that on my checkbox. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, like having these hard financial targets, like very specific binary objective targets are, is obviously, you know, it's very motivating for, for a lot of people. Was there, was there ever any, uh, you know, any consideration that, that you could have held the business for, you know, for a decade and, and continue to draw all that cash out of the business, given that you were making so much money. I mean, yeah, there's always that, there's always that possibility, you know. But um, the thing is, this I also knew that that uh, that that cash would give me an opportunity to do something else as well. And and you know, I started to feel like my passions were in a different area. Uh, as a, I, I've been a straight commission sales rep my entire adult working life, even when I was at E Traffic Jams, right? I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a straight commission sales rep because there's no there's no guaranteed paycheck unless sales are coming in. And so, you know, but even prior to working at, e, you know, and starting e-traffic jams, I've been a straight commission sales rep beforehand. And I know what it feels like to, you know, have the phone feel like a 25-pound weight and you just don't want to pick it up anymore because you're tired of being rejected. And so during those times, I, I, I fixed, I came up with a, uh, you know, listen, sales isn't rocket scientists, but there, but there is a science to it. And I have the formula. I ended up creating a formula that if I follow this, no matter where I'm, no matter what industry or what I'm selling, if I follow this path, I close a lot more deals than most people. And so I was getting to the point where I was like, you know, I had a couple other business ideas. And one of them was I, I wanted to create an online sales training company uh, that I could actually teach other people who are being frustrated by selling and cold calling and warm calling and things of that nature. And so it, I think just the timing all worked out right in that scenario as it is anyway. So at this at this time in your life, when, when you've got this offer um, from the Swedish company, like, who's doing the work at eTraffic Jams? Like, who's doing the, the the actual SEO, the search engine optimization work? Are you doing yeah, so it, or I, some the guy in Canada? Well, not, not at this point, no. And now I'm just like supervising it a little bit. Or if they have if they have an issue that they're having a hard time getting a site up, I'd look at it and help them out. But I had to, I had I had one primary person. I had two or three other like part time people that we were outsourcing, giving tries to, and then I'd have a project manager, and then I had a couple of salespeople that I would oversee as well. Got it. And, and how much of the one the million dollars in sales that you had at that time? How much is that are, are sales that you personally made versus your salespeople? 
I was still always the top producer, if that's what you're asking. Mm, right? yeah. I would still close the sales. You know, but but then again, the other side of it was the re, you know what I called the residual model, right? or or the reoccurring revenue that you were talking about. Uh, one of the one of the things you had to separate yourself from all the other SEO companies out there, and all the other SEO companies, and this goes for all the entrepreneurs out there, right? So you have to find a way to separate yourself, and and all the other SEO companies wanted the big contracts. They wanted the companies that had a ten thousand dollar upfront fee, and then and 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 um, uh, guaranteed uh, monthly revenue, whether you're they were getting results or not. And so what I did was this, I, I said, I, there's a pool of businesses out there, small to mid-sized companies who don't want to pay or can't afford the $10,000 upfront fee and don't want to pay for results they're not getting. So what I actually did was this, I targeted what all the companies that nobody wanted, you know, that small to mid-sized company. And I, I did it this way. I had a pay for performance model. And so what it was, was I said, instead of the 10,000 fee, everybody else charges, it's $2,500 fee up front. Here's what you're going to get. It's not a setup fee. Here's what we're actually going to do for that work. And then every month thereafter, it's a 12 month agreement, but every month thereafter, if we get you less than 10 top 10 rankings, you don't pay anything. But if we get over those 10 top 10 rankings, you pay this $500 a month fee. And if it's 20 rankings, then you pay this $1,000 fee. And then I would let them pick the cap of what they had. And so we would get the upfront fee, which would cover some pay basic payroll for people to do the job. And then we would wait for the results to kick in. And then so what it was doing is every month I would wake up the first, you know, the first of the month, we'd run the reports and we'd have 30 grand in the bank because we would automatically charge the cards because of the results that we got from somebody two or three months ago. Does that make sense? It does. So what proportion of your revenue, your top line revenue at the time of the sale would have been coming from these recurring or as you say, residual contracts? So we definitely wanted, it was definitely almost half sometimes, right? Right. Sometimes it would get down to, you know, maybe 30 to 50%, you know, between the 30 to 50%, you know, but you definitely need new business all the time coming in as well. Got it. You, def you definitely uh, do that. And then we started to get into where we would have a little bit higher setup fees sometimes depending on how how busy we were getting. But we were really put, making a dent. And that's why we were profitable because, you know, we were picking up what nobody else, what everybody else was throwing away. And we just made a smarter a business decision for small businesses where they're like, wait, I don't pay unless you get top rankings. And I'm like, yeah, but we knew we were really good at what we were doing. And so – it was just nice to be able to wake up, you know, first of the month, run the reports, and then accounting would automatically start charging those cards. And we got payroll covered. So now for the whole month, and now got to sell new business to get those setup fees to, to make those extra profits. And it was just a really nice system. It, it was, it was, when it was working, it was really doing well for us. Did the Swedish acquire attempt to lock you in as an employee or in any sort of earnout or long-term contract after the sale? Yeah, I mean, they they really they approach like, how long do you want to be with us? How long do you expect to be with us? But I'm, I'm the kind of person that I it's got to be my way or the highway, and I know that about myself. Uh, I will learn from other people if I have like total respect for for, for them and things of that nature. Um, it, it, but the thing is, this is that from the research I I've done, I just knew that it would be better. I wanted to stay on for sure. I said, I, I told him I'd stay on for a year for, you know, to help him out and do the transition, things of that nature. And we agreed on, we agreed onto a salary and things of that nature. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, it didn't last that long though. It, uh, I was bought out, uh, within 90 days simply because as soon as the, the transition happened, they came in and they put their own people in place and they changed everything. And what they said is they're going to do it their way now. And 
See, the thing is this, is the reason why they bought me is they tried to start their own SEO company in America and the way they were doing it, and it failed. And the reason why they chose me, when I told them we were profitable, they were, they were looking at other companies that were doing tons more revenue, but they weren't profitable at all. So they were spending the money. Uh, yeah, it just didn't make sense. I go, listen, we're profitable. And that's what really cinched the deal. But then they came in and they changed everything to, to do it the way they wanted to do it before. I'm like, well, it didn't work before, so it's not going to work now. Anyway, uh, they were willing to, you know, after 90 days or so, they, they paid me out and uh, I went on my way. And then I, like six months later, it was out of business. Wow. Michael, what, when you say paid you out, what does that mean? So I got my, my, my sal if I remember correctly, I got the, 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 the salary that they owed and then the bonuses that, that um, would have been happening. Because when I was running everything the way it was, there was quarterly bonuses attached to after I sold the company that I would personally get. And as long as we were hitting them, we, we were we were good. So the first three months, I was hitting them, and then they started to change things. And or the first two months, I should say, and then the third month, when they really wanted to go their way, it, the, bon and the the revenue was going down. And and, and uh, so that's why I said, if we keep doing it this way, it's not going to work. And then I said, you know, you're affecting my bonus, so they were willing to give me the bonus and buy it out, and I was able to walk away. And so did they did they pay out one quarter's bonus or or multiple quarters bonus? It was definitely it was the one quarter bonus that that uh, so I got my one bonus and I got a quarter bonus that I would have gotten afterwards if if they would have kept doing it my way and then I just I just left the other half no problem. Got it. And during the you know after that fateful meeting where the person who met with you from Sweden you know took a phone call and and then came back to agree after they verbally agreed and before the, you know the, the one point two million dollar you know wire hit your bank account. Did did they, in other words, during sort of diligence, did they attempt to contact or request to contact your subcontractors, the, the people that were actually doing the SEO work? You know, they did interview some of them, but they also, you know, they really wanted to make sure that all the contracts we had, they had to go through them with the fine-tooth comb. They wanted to call and verify all the accounts and things of that nature. So, you know, and I had no problem with that. Absolutely. So we, we turned over every contract. They did their due diligence, went through all that. Uh, so so they, they did both. They, but they were more focused on the contracts and, so and the value of the contracts. How did you kind of characterize this with your customers, like why these guys were calling? Did you tell them you had sold the company? Uh, yeah, if I again, if I remember right, because we're going back a little bit, uh, there was an email that went out that you guys are in good hands. It's a, you know, it's a major company that you know they have a lot of organizations around the world that they owned, and they're you know well-known marketing you know public company over in Sweden, um, and and that was that. And nobody seemed to have a problem with it because you know they wanted to keep the the team that I had in place on. They they wanted to keep them on. How did you protect yourself? that the Swedish company wouldn't simply interview your subcontractor and build a, a relationship with the subcontractor so that they could essentially disintermediate you and, and, and basically form a, a partnership with the, the subcontractors you use for the SEO. Did, were, were you concerned that they might do that? How did you? No, I wasn't concerned at all because cause the bottom line was, was the revenue and, and I knew how to sell the stuff. And it was also my sales. So sure, you can find SEOs that'll actually do the work and get good results. But the bottom line is, I I, I had the whole sales system down on knowing how to sell this. But they and, were and, but they were losing that, right? They knew you were you were likely to go. 
Well, as long as they follow the process, and again, I wasn't going to divulge all the sales steps and everything ahead of time. I give them a you know an overview, but, but their focus, their attention really was on the contracts and the value of the contracts. When they found out how we did the the the, uh, the reoccurring revenue uh, on that monthly basis, what the contracts were worth, you know, they would total all that up and see the potential, and that's when they were like, okay, let's do this. They just had to verify the contracts were valid. So, uh, I mean, they had their own SEOs too at the time that that. You know, over uh, in Sweden, that said they were doing a good job on their side. The algorithms are different, and the, and the competition is different. Um, there's there's a lot more uh, websites in the U.S. than there would over there at the time. Um, but still, I mean, I I wasn't worried about that aspect at, at all. I, I wasn't getting the vibe from them uh, in that scenario either. Got it. So you mentioned that it wasn't more than a few months after you left that eTraffic Jams went out of business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They they made some changes there, and then some of the uh, all the employees, except for one, ended up leaving. And it says they just, just it just wasn't being run right. The th- you kind of hate to see that something that you built up and it was thriving so well, but I'm I'm told that it really is not that uncommon. And you know, so the, listen, the, the people that bought it were a great bunch of people. Yeah, they they flew us over to uh, Sweden, got to meet them as well. Um, and it's just the mentality, I think, of the, the business atmosphere a little bit um, might have just just jived differently. And, you know, some of the changes that they put somebody in, in charge that I just felt wasn't the right person. And I kind of was right because the changes they made just just tanked it. And it was just too late to recover. I think it was just quicker to, you know, to cut their losses. How did you feel about e-traffic jams, the company you had sort of given birth to, uh, closing up shop. How did that make you feel? I mean, listen, it, it's, it's a deal with the devil in the sense. I mean, it's like, I, if I had to do it all over again, I do it in, in a heartbeat because it's, it's the cash that, listen, why the cash? You know, some, sometimes people say, well, you know, listen, you shouldn't really say things like that, you, you know? And it's not that, uh, you know, I, it's not the money that I'm after in the sense it's the freedom and the options that money can, can, can bring you. And I learned a long time ago that the more people you help get what they want, the more money you will earn. So, you know, that's, that's kind of always my mentality is to help others get what they want in, in, in what I'm selling or what I'm, I'm, I'm offering. And it, it was a great run, but you know, I'm also a believer that we have, there's different paths and destinations for us. And it was time for me to go on to a next chapter anyway. Did I, was I happy that it failed? Absolutely not. But I knew everybody else would land on their feet and, and whatnot. So that's just the way it was. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I'm glad you shared with it, us, with it with us, I should say. Michael, what's the best way for people to reach out if they want to say hi? Is there, a, is there a, a website you want to point them to or a LinkedIn profile? What's the best way to say hi? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm definitely on LinkedIn, Michael Padone at LinkedIn. Uh, the company that I have now that I, that I created that I help a lot of people with uh, is salesbuzz.com. If you have, you know, basically what I do now is I teach outbound sales teams how to overcome call reluctance and cold call their way into new accounts. And uh, so I, I love I love sharing my sales skills with people. We do these live online workshops every week. People sign up for and they get great value out of them. So uh, the, it's either salesbuzz.com or you can definitely look me up on LinkedIn. Michael Padone, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. 
John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.